at my welcome to all of you tuning into this live stream. Um, boy, it's a uh, day like today when we miss especially seeing you face to face. We miss especially hearing you sing. Uh, we miss being able to say, the Lord is risen, and hearing you respond, the Lord is risen indeed. Um, so on an Easter like no other, I want to invite you to turn to the one place that we can still go in order to find solid ground and unimpeachable wisdom and clear guidance and resounding hope and uh, food this world knows not of. I invite you to turn to your Bibles. And in your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3. It was not many years ago, um, a mentor of mine led a group of us through an enlightening experience uh, exercise together. He had us pair off and ask one another the question repeatedly, over and over, what do you want? What do you want? It's a question we learned that day that has the potential of unlocking our deep self. What is it I want? And we were barely minutes into this exercise when the room was clearly rocking with emotion. Men, women, well-functioning experienced in people helping, comfortable in, in our own skin, stirred to our depths, calling out for those who are forever lost, dead or absent parents, spouses, children, friends. I want to see you again. I want to know you're proud of me. I want you to know I love you and how sorry I am. I never told you. I, I really do want to learn all those things I know you wanted to teach me. I want to go back and make the most of my college education. I, I want to go back and delete that dark chapter of my life. So much wanting, so much longing. And, and really so much pain, and, and remarkably close to the surface. It is an exercise designed to dismantle people's defenses and pull off their masks. What do you want? I, I've noticed a similar effect in relation to our experience of COVID-19. Unwanted losses, un chosen limitations have a way of revealing what we really want. And isn't it true that what each one of us really wants is quite simply that which will make us happy? I want to be able to travel. <laughs> I want to celebrate this holiday and every day together with loved ones and friends. I want to I make sure I have a paycheck. I, I, I want baseball. I want to know we're not going to get sick. I mean, 
isn't that what unites us with every other human being on this planet? The desire for deep and satisfying joy. One of the remarkable and unshakable truths of Scripture is that's what God wants, too. Psalm 115, verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God desires deep, satisfying joy, and what sets him apart as God is that he does whatever he pleases, whenever he pleases to do it. He is always pleased. But certainly, one of the more astonishing truths of Scripture is that God not only pursues his own deepest and satisfying joy, God commands us to pursue our deepest and most satisfying joy. God commands us to pursue joy that is unaffected by losses and limitations. Joy unaffected by circumstances such as COVID-19. The text to which we are going to give our attention today is Philippians chapter 3, uh, particularly verses 7 through 11, but I'm going to read the entire paragraph beginning in verse 1. So, I want to invite you to follow along and um, as an expression of our confidence that this is God's word, our desire to hear God's word, our reverence and regard for God's word to us. If you are able, I invite you to stand wherever you are and give your full attention to what God has said to us through the Apostle Paul. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil doers. It seems that the church in Philippi had the same trouble Timothy was Facing in Ephesus, namely people teaching variations of the doctrine of self-salvation. You're saved if you come from the right bloodline. You're saved if you get circumcised. You've got to look out for that. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's holy and living and life-giving word. Let's pray. O Lord Jesus, on this day we celebrate your resurrection. Our minds, those of us that are part of Emmaus Road Church, our minds will go to that day, that third day, and that seven-mile stretch of road and two disciples who were downcast and discouraged and disoriented and disequilibrated and so heartbroken over loss. And Lord Jesus... You chose to reveal yourself to them alive, not by saying, here I am, but by opening the law and the prophets, by opening the scripture, by opening God's word. And there, there those disciples, so blinded with grief and loss, were able to have their eyes opened to behold you in all your glory, a Savior that, that must die, necessarily die, so that sins might be atoned for, that a people might be saved, that it was necessary for you to die so that you could rise victorious and, and prove that your sacrifice was satisfying to God the Father. Today we ask for that same grace that you might show each one who is hearing your word today that you are in fact the living, reigning, victorious, triumphant, sin-crushing Savior. Let us hear you. Let us behold you now. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, I believe the claim of Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, is this. God commands us, God commands us to pursue joy that is unaffected by human circumstances. On this Easter Sunday 2020, separated from one another on account of our submission to an executive proclamation, 
God is commanding us to pursue joy. We see it in Philippians 3.1. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. I command you, rejoice in the Lord. I command you, pursue the very thing that each and every one of us wants. However, what is unique about this claim is that God is commanding us to pursue joy that is more durable, more stable, more enduring, and completely unaffected by any human circumstance, including any earthly joy that may be lost on account of an infectious disease. All of us um, continue to have, we, we have and we continue to experience some measure of joy lost on account of COVID-19. There's no spring sports, there's no graduation ceremonies, there's no weddings, no no, no gatherings of friends, no trips, lost income, lost savings. Some have lost jobs. Some of you have even lost family members and acquaintances. Listen, we have a friend who knows government-ordered restrictions and loss. And that friend is the Apostle Paul. He writes this particular letter from a Roman prison. His ability to travel is done. His ability to do what he wants when he wants to do it is done. His ability to make a living is done. But even more, Paul, Paul had been a privileged man. He had been a, a, a man of reputation. He, he had been a force in his community. But insofar as his vocation... Uh, it's, it's done. It's lost. That's why his statement in verse 7 should get our attention. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So God is, is commanding, his command to rejoice in the Lord. It's much, much more than simply thinking happy thoughts about Jesus on Easter. Counting Everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of Jesus is much, much more than merely knowing something about Jesus. Loved ones, listen, knowing something about Jesus, thinking nice thoughts about Jesus are not going to get people through a pandemic. The only way one gets through a pandemic, the, the way one endures lost pleasures and privileges, is through a radical reorientation onto the one who is joy itself. God is commanding us to rejoice, to pursue joy in the Lord. So here's what I believe God wants to do 
in us and for us today. God intends to empower us. God intends to enable us to find, to experience sustained and stable joy in the person of Jesus. And friends, if you have never tasted joy in Jesus, then listen, God God wants you to get a taste of that today. God has spoken to us in and through this text, and God's purpose is not simply that we learn something more about Jesus. His purpose is that we would rejoice in Jesus. And in order to rejoice in Jesus, like Paul, there are two things we must do. They're not things we must do so that we might deserve to experience joy in Jesus, but they are things we must do by faith in Jesus in order to experience joy in Jesus. And here's these two things. We must esteem Jesus, and we must fully entrust ourselves to Jesus. Esteem Jesus above all else and entrust ourselves to Jesus in all things. And this is how we come over time, how how we learn over time to experience deep, satisfying joy in the Lord. So so the first way we, we obey God's command to rejoice in the Lord is by learning then to esteem Jesus above everything else. When our freedoms and our prerogatives are limited, the covers are pulled back, right? On, on what in life for us really counts. <laughs> the covers are pulled back on what we really want. In, in Philippians 3, 5, and 6, Paul lists all these things that, that he, had, he had rejoiced in before he rejoiced in Jesus. But then look again at what he says in 7 and 8. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So in other words, Jesus' worth is more valuable than anything else. Paul puts everything that he had rejoiced in before. And, and, and man, this is a, these are good things. This is a pretty good list. He, he puts all those things that he had rejoiced in before in the loss column in comparison to Jesus. Christ is far greater than all the good things, all the good gifts that God's that come from God's hand, that are meant for us to enjoy. In times like this, um, you know, when I'm missing worshiping together with you, I'm missing having a house full of guests. I'm I'm missing the masters. Um, I'm anticipating missing a a, a very meaningful trip to to the Middle East, uh, to teach the book of Psalms to my pastor friends from South Asia. And you're missing good things too, especially being near to loved ones who, are, who, who may be suffering alone. 
it is a radical thing to say. Compared to the joy I have in Jesus, these things that I'm missing, they're just loss. Paul actually uses a very, a very much stronger word in verse 8. He refers to them as rubbish. You, you know, it's not that they are rubbish, but they simply do not compare to the joy that there is in Christ. Compared to the joy that's in Christ, they're like rubbish. I have a friend who, he says something that frames us in such a way that it affects me every time I've heard it. He says, for, for so many people, Jesus is like winning a lottery ticket that we can cash in for the things that we really want. But according to God's word to us, Jesus himself is the prize. So for Paul, learning to rejoice in the Lord means every day, beginning and ending, with this intentional reminding of himself. Everything besides Christ is loss. Reputation, freedom, income, financial security, health, family. They're all good. But all these good things blinded Paul to the superior beauty of Christ. And so he learned that lesser pleasures, if not put in their proper place, would keep him from experiencing the best pleasure of all. This is what it means to esteem Jesus above everything else. I was reading... Um, a brief biographical sketch of St. Augustine. And uh, Augustine personally testifies that um, prior to turning to and esteeming Christ Jesus, he, he, he had passionately pursued pleasure in all the wrong and, and maybe a few of the right places. But after tasting joy in Jesus, here's what, Here's what Augustine said. How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. O oh Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, and my salvation. It is such a common temptation for us to be captivated by what Augustine describes as fruitless joys. Those, they're the kind of joys that, well, of course, they give us pleasure, but... Um, they don't endure eternally. And we cling to fruitless joys because they still give us joy. They, they do satisfy for a time. But they, are, they also have a way of lulling us to sleep with inferior pleasure, causing us to forget that in Christ we have something, someone who is worth losing everything for.
And so we have to learn to adjust and, and reposition the lesser joys in our lives so that only when we esteem Jesus above all, more than all, most of all, can we find appropriate joy in everything else. Isn't that one of the things our Heavenly Father is doing in these remarkable times? Revealing the fruitless joys, revealing, clarifying what we want. It's a stunning truth that God wants you and me to know the greatest joy possible. What, what, what love, what goodness. But to experience joy in Christ, we must esteem him more than anything, anyone else. Here, here's second way to experience joy in Jesus and that is by faith we must entrust ourselves to him for all that we need. What do we need more than anything else? We will rejoice in Jesus when we learn to depend on him and this is to use Paul's vocabulary when we depend on Jesus to be gain for us. Have you learned to entrust yourself to Christ to be gain? What does that mean? <laughs> what, what is there that is in Christ that for us is gain? I want to show you. First, by entrusting ourselves to Jesus, we gain Jesus' righteousness. In the death of Christ is a great exchange. And in trusting ourselves to Christ, we receive the blessing of that great exchange. We exchange our sins, past, present, and future, for his complete sinlessness. We exchange our just and guilty verdict before God for Jesus' just and innocent verdict before God. We exchange the eternal punishment we have earned for the satisfaction Jesus has earned. Loved ones, is there anything more important, more gainful than that? Paul says, this is verses 8 and 9, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You know, how can I, a sinner, be made right with God? How? I can't. I can't. I can't do anything. There's no way. What can I, a sinner, do to make myself right with God? There is nothing I can do to make myself right with God. But the good news is, is that it has been done for us. And by faith, by entrusting ourselves to Jesus, he gets our sin and we get his righteousness. 
Loved ones, Jesus didn't simply make our unrighteousness disappear, just vaporize, go away. He took on himself and endured the punishment required for it as though it were his. And we gain a righteousness by which we are saved from wrath, by which we have full fellowship with God, in whose presence, guess what? We get joy upon joy upon joy. Secondly, by entrusting ourselves to Jesus, we gain the power of the resurrection. We gain the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's ours. And this power, loved ones, is more virulent than any virus. Look at verse 8 again. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. In verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. <laughs> you know, when, we, when we've had, when I've had at least enough bad news, when I've, when I've had enough social distancing, when I've had enough deleting meaningful things off from my calendar, and then when I still need more wisdom, I need, I need more discernment to just think rightly about all these things. I need more humility. I need more endurance. Entrusting myself to Jesus means getting the very power that raised him from the dead and with it, deeper, steadier joy. Here's the third thing. By entrusting ourselves to Jesus, we share in Jesus' sufferings. Now, th this, one's, this one's a little challenging. I mean, when you honestly consider all that Jesus suffered, how is sharing in it gain? Jesus experienced our eternal damnation on the cross. Why would I want to join in that? Suffering is what happens when good things are taken away from us. Suffering is when we lose our opportunity to, to, to walk in our graduation commencement. Suffering is when we lose our opportunities to make memories. Suffering is when we lose our health, our job, our retirement, when we lose our loved ones. Suffering is real. Suffering is horrible. But in Christ, our suffering is not in vain. It is actually gain. Verse 8, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, and then verse 10, and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. And so as we learn to entrust ourselves to Jesus, we share in the suffering loss. We share in suffering loss in this sinful, broken world as he did. And we become more 
and more like him. John Piper writes in a, in a book he's very recently published called Coronavirus in Christ. He says, suffering is God's trumpet blast to tell us something is wrong in this world that only Christ can resolve. God's purpose in our sharing in Christ's suffering, it's gain. How so? It brings us to Jesus. It it takes us deeper into Jesus. It shows us the, the worth and the value of Jesus. And it makes us more like Jesus in order that we might rejoice in Jesus. Here's fourth thing. By entrusting ourselves to Jesus, we ourselves gain resurrection from death. Jesus was raised from death on the third day by the power of God, and all who are joined to him by faith in him will also be raised from death. Just a little further down in this text, Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Loved ones, a day is coming when the power of God will transform our bodies and there will be no more pain There will be no more degenerative weakness. There will be no more viruses. There will be no more loss. And God's aim is that we might discover and experience joy, eternal joy, superior joy in Christ. And friends, if we can trust Jesus to be our righteousness, to reconcile us to God, to transform us and fill us and change us by his resurrection power. If we can trust Jesus to turn our sufferings into deeper joy in him, if we can trust him to raise us up and transform our bodies, then can't we also trust him for the deepest, strongest, and satisfying joy? May he graciously impart to you this great salvation. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we would just turn away from ourselves. Where where within us is anything that by nature would esteem Jesus? By nature, we're dead in sin. By nature, we're blind to your glory. By nature, we are unfeeling, undesiring, unpursuing of you. We see no need for you. We we feel no value in you. By nature, we're we're dull. On our best days, we, we get little surges of want to, and should and ought to, but 
how can we move toward you unless you work a great miracle of salvation, which you have done. You have finished the work on the cross. Jesus, you lived the perfect life. You died a sin-atoning death. You were sacrificed in our stead. You have risen from the grave, vindicating uh, yourself as Christ, as Lord, as Savior. God has accepted your sacrifice. And so you call us today to entrust ourselves to you. We know, Lord, that we are sinners. We know that we are broken. Please, O oh Lord, forgive us of our sins and make us whole. We're asking you now, Lord Jesus, to come into our lives, empower us, restore us to the purpose for which God made us, to know you, to be joined to you, to become like you, to, eat, to taste eternal joy in you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.